What's gone down in the Ivy League during the non-conference slate? What is there still to look forward to? Jen Hatfield, Managing Editor, Ivy League Beat Writer, and Mystics Beat Writer at the Next, joins host Natalie Heverin to discuss all things Ivy League. Ogumba Wallet for the win! You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Hello and happy Friday. You are locked on to women's basketball. I'm Natalie Heverin and I'm a features writer and the Atlantic 10 beat reporter for the next. Thank you for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. And remember, Locked On Women's Basketball is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Today, we'll be chatting all things Ivy League from the non conference surprises and surprise standouts to some of Jen's recent stories and what to keep your eye on as the conference season starts, and as as well as a reflection on the games played so far. Joining me today is Jen Hatfield, Managing Editor, Ivy League Beat Writer, and Mystics Beat Writer at The Next. So Jen, what has surprised you most about the Ivy League so far in the non-conference season? Thanks for having me, Natalie. I, I really appreciate it. I always love the chance uh, to talk Ivy League. Um, you know, I think that there have been a lot of exciting games played so far in the first half, roughly, of the of the women's basketball season um, in the Ivy League. We've seen lots of matchups against Power Fives, um, lots of really good matchups. I'm not sure if anything's surprising uh, to me about the league as a whole, but uh, something that that casual observers might be surprised by is the hot start that Columbia has gotten off to. Um, they look dominant. Um, I mean, they've had a couple losses. They lost to Iowa State. They had a hiccup uh, to Vanderbilt in the first week of the season. But other than that, they've been, quite frankly, stomping people um, and look like, at this point, the best team in the Ivy League. Yeah, we'll talk about Columbia a little bit more later, but they did do quite a number on UMass, which may have surprised a lot of people in Atlantic 10 circles. Um, you have talked about this a little bit, but what are some of the biggest Ivy League non-conference wins uh, that have happened so far? Yeah, so definitely that Columbia over UMass win was a big one. Columbia has three wins over teams that are top 60 in the net ratings as of this morning. Uh, they beat Seton Hall, uh, they beat UMass, and they beat Miami. Uh, Princeton also beat Seton Hall, so that's a really good win for them. Um, and then Harvard, in their first two games of the season, they beat Rhode Island, another quality A-10 team, and they beat intra-city rival Boston College, which is always a big deal uh, for the Crimson and for, for Boston sports fans. So those have been some of the highlights. Um, and then, you know, shout out to Yale, which uh, came within – centimeters and millimeters of, of knocking off Syracuse and, and fell by two in a game that they led for quite a bit. So uh, there've been a lot of exciting games, but those are kind of the, the highlights that I see. And then you wrote a story earlier this month about one player per Ivy League team that has surprised this season um, and surprised in a lot of different ways. Without going too much into the story, who are some of the players that surprised you or surprised others this season? 
Yeah, there are a lot, which is why I went with one per team. Um, and honestly, in the case of Yale, it could have been almost their entire team. Yale lost uh, their best player, senior forward Camilla Emspo, an all-Ivy caliber player um, in the offseason to an ACL injury. And the whole team has had to elevate their game um, to, to make up for that. Um, and by and large, they've done it. Uh, Yale's defense in particular looks pretty strong. Their offense is still coming along, but there are several players there who have taken big jumps. Um, I picked sophomore Nyla McGill, who's really fun to watch for her all-around game, not just her scoring. She's a very good rebounder, uh, despite not being the biggest player on the court. Um, so that's Yale has a lot of candidates. Uh, Kylie Capstraw is a freshman who, who may win Rookie of the Year. She's been playing really well, so... Um, if you like surprises, you can watch Yale. Um, Brown is kind of similar. They brought in a bunch of freshmen and have had several of those freshmen produce in perhaps unexpected ways. Um, and then, you know, I mentioned mostly underclassmen in my list, but uh, it kind of a fun story is, is Columbia senior Hannah, Hannah Pratt, who is having a breakout final season for the Lions and um, is, you know, contributing to the fact that all five Columbia starters average double figures and it's just been really nice to see how confidently and efficiently she's playing. And then you also mentioned her in your story, but Simone Sawyer really impressed me against LaSalle. Um, what have you seen from her this season? Yeah, so Simone, Simone Sawyer is a freshman guard for Penn. Um, she is the team's third leading scorer right now. She's She recently entered the starting lineup, wasn't uh, playing too much at the beginning of the season, but has come on strong. Um, she's their best three-point shooter and is giving them offense that they really need. Um, Penn is a strong defensive team, and the offense has been a little bit stop and go. Um, their best player, Kayla Padilla, has had kind of a rough shooting start to the season, uh, very uncharacteristic. But uh, regardless of how well she was shooting, it, there was always a question mark of who on Penn would kind of step up to give her more support. And Sawyer's being kind of a difference maker, in that respect and could be really big for them come conference play. And then in a league where may pe where some people may see it as predictable, a smaller league, um, you know, what has all of these surprises meant to the Ivy League as a whole? Yeah, I think it I think it gets people excited about the Ivy League, right? To have players shine who maybe they didn't know much about or who are making leaps from a season ago, um, you know, that change is, is interesting to folks kind of, kind of like seeing Columbia rise, you know, from a team perspective, people like to see those changing storylines and it, it builds excitement about the future of the Ivy league, right? Seven of the eight players I highlighted are freshmen or sophomores, meaning that we get to see them grow for, for several more years and, and elevate the conference. And it, it so the surprises story is almost like a who got next story also. Mm -hmm. Um, as as we graduate another another wave of seniors this year. So um, I think it's exciting for a lot of reasons. And, you know, I, I wrote it uh, in part because I thought it was just a, a quick, fun look at every team, you know, a, kind of a quick hit on, on who could be difference makers and who's stepping up. Um, so I thought it was a nice window into each of the eight teams. And then I know this is a difficult question, but has there been maybe one or two players that have been your favorite to watch so far this season? Oh, there are so many, um, but I'll start with Columbia because really that entire team is, is a joy to watch. But um, I have to shout out Abby Shu, who if the season ended today would be my fairly easy pick for Ivy League player of the year. 
Um, she is their leading scorer. She is a sharpshooter. I think that is an understatement. Um, she set the Columbia record for made, made three pointers in her sophomore season, um, which is like the most insane record to me. She's a junior now and has one more year of eligibility at Columbia. Um, so she's just really fun to watch. Uh, you, unfortunately for, for UMass saw the, the full effect of that when she put a career high 34 points on UMass on nine of 11, three point shooting, um, but, you know, she's she's more than just a shooter. I've, I've talked to several folks about her and, you know, the shooting is what jumps off the page, but she's really committed to improving defensively. She'll get assists. She'll, uh, you know, get steals. She'll get some rebounds like she's she's a, a quiet leader um, and quietly just contributes to winning. So she's she's really fun to watch um, on that Columbia team. Um, and their style of play is really fun. And then one other player that I would shout out um, is Harvard's Harmony Turner, who I wrote about in the preseason. She's the reigning Ivy League Rookie of the Year. She's just uber athletic, uber talented, very dynamic. Um, she's a point guard, but she scores with the best of them. Um, and so it, it's fun just to see all of the different things that she can do with the ball. She, she's a problem uh, for teams. Um, really the only things that stop her are, uh, her own cold shooting night and turnovers. And lately she hasn't had either of those and has been, been torching folks. So she is really fun to watch. Um, yeah. And I will, I, I could keep going, but I'll, but I'll stop with those two. And then, um, do you expect, uh, kind of a breakout conference season for anyone, maybe someone who got off to a slow start in the non-conference play? Yeah, this is a little bit of a cop-out. I can give another answer as well, but the the player who first came to my mind is Princeton guard Julia Cunningham. She's a senior. She's a reigning first-team All-Ivy player, which is why I say this is a cop-out, but she has struggled shooting the ball uh, in most of the non-conference, and I really think it's only a matter of time before uh, before she breaks out. She's Princeton's second-leading scorer right now, um, has the talent to lead them in scoring, um, and I think she's going to going to make a big jump in conference play. Um, I mentioned Caleb Padilla for Penn, very similar situation. So um, those are the ones that, that come to mind right away, um, even though they are, you know, potential player of the year type talents. Um, someone else that I think could emerge, uh, Jada Patrick for Columbia. She transferred from Duke earlier in her career last season, was her first in a Lions uniform. And it took her until like midway through the conference season, I believe, to really like kind of have that light bulb moment where she figured out what she was supposed to do and how she could be effective and just kind of soared from there. Um, and her scoring isn't quite as as high as I would have expected it so far this season. And I think we could see a similar, not quite as pronounced uh, elevation in her game conference season um, and specifically in terms of her scoring, because she is she is still playing an, an all around game and has had some, you know, high scoring performances. But I think we could see her average rise in conference play. Coming up next, we're going to discuss Jen's story on Carla Barube's uh, return to UConn and Abby Myers building on her Princeton success at Maryland. Today's episode is brought to you by NHTSA. Did you know that driving high is considered driving under the influence? That's right. Driving under the influence of marijuana is against the law in every state, even in states where marijuana is legal. That means driving high could get you a DUI. Do you think, if, and if you think law enforcement officers can't tell 
when you're driving high, you're wrong. Your friends can tell, your coworkers can tell, and even your parents can tell. Everyone can tell. So what makes you think that law enforcement officers don't know when you're driving high? Driving under the influence of marijuana can slow your response time and change how you perceive time and speed. So even if you think you're fine to drive when you're high, you're not. Bottom, Because the bottom line is, if you feel different, you drive different. And driving high is driving under the influence. So remember, drive high, get a DUI. Paid for by NHTSA. Thank you for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. Make sure to check out Locked On Sports Today, the biggest stories around the sports world in 20 minutes or less, plus instant reactions, game recaps, and Locked On's take of the day. Locked On Sports Today, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. So you were there. You were up in Connecticut. uh, But how was Princeton's head coach, Carla Berube, received when she came back to Connecticut? Yeah, so it was it was really a joy to be up there in stores for that game. Um, you know, it was it was built up kind of in the in the week leading up to it. Um, the fans really appreciated having Carla back. Carla played for UConn on that uh, 1995 title team that kind of launched the UConn dynasty, um, and it was it was her first game back as a head coach um, ever. Uh, she she'd previously uh, played at UConn as an assistant at Providence in the early 2000s, um, which she uh, kind of alluded to didn't go very well for her. Um, but so it was her first time back in a coaching capacity in almost 20 years. It was her first time back, period, in about nine years. Um, and it was really meaningful for her. She she told us um, that she really wanted it to be at Gamble Pavilion, which is the on-campus arena instead of at the Excel Center in, Har- in Hartford. Um, and it was, and it was just, you know, the whole experience. Carla isn't, you know, maybe the most effusive coach. She, she kind of keeps things close to the vest, but you could tell that it was, it was meaningful to her to be back on campus and, and experience that to the point that I think she would have been fine playing in an empty Gamble Pavilion. Just the, the being back, there even for shoot around was was emotional for her um and you know gino Oriema, the yukon coach who, who coached her and associate head coach chris daly both of them were um you know clearly very proud of carla and all she she has accomplished not only at princeton but at tufts before that um and, and the fans welcomed her back you know she didn't get quite the roar that that you know the the current yukon players got from them but she got a noticeable uh cheer when she was introduced, that was much higher than for her players to whom the UConn fans have zero connection. So there was definitely an appreciation that she was there. Um, and I think it was just, it was just a fun night for everybody all around. Um, aside from maybe the coaches sweating out the final five minutes or so. So what did you learn about Princeton from that game? And what do you think they can take away from it moving into conference play? Yeah, so for anyone who who didn't watch the game or didn't hear about it, it was a 69-64 UConn win. UConn was up by about 15 during the middle portion of the game, um, then got a little bit shorthanded, and Princeton threw out this press that they don't normally uh, throw out and went on this run and cut it to, I believe, three points um, in the fourth quarter. And so it got really dramatic coming down the stretch. It was kind of sleepy during the middle portion. Um, And then it got super dramatic. And I think, you know, for me, I talked earlier about how dominant Columbia has looked in the long, in the non-conference and Princeton has looked a little shaky at times. 
Um, they've had a really good non-conference schedule, but they haven't looked maybe as convincing as one might expect for the defending Ivy League champs, a team that almost made the Sweet 16. They're still figuring some things out, as Carla told us. Um, they had to replace Abby Myers, who I know we'll, we'll talk about soon, but was the Ivy League player of the year. They still returned four starters, but they're still kind of kind of getting their bearings. Um, and I think that, that them sh- you know, showing that they could come back from that kind of deficit especially with a press that they don't normally use. Um, that was impressive, even though UConn was shorthanded. Um, you know, it just, it, it made me, you know, on the one hand, you look at all the injuries in, to you, at UConn and you say, oh man, you know, Princeton had an opportunity there. Um, but I think, I think the fight that they showed and the comeback they put on um, gave me more confidence that, that uh, you know, the Columbia-Princeton games are going to be really good and, and both teams could, could you know, take that series or split it or which is what I thought coming into the season. Um, but, you know, seeing Princeton struggle a little bit, I had to wonder a little bit and then seeing what they did at UConn made me say, yep, that's, that's the Princeton program that we're used to, I think. Uh, and you mentioned Abby Myers. We've talked a lot about Abby Myers uh, off uh, any sort of social media or podcasting platform. Um, But with the NCAA's extra year of eligibility from COVID-19 and the Ivy League's more restrictive eligibility rules, we're starting to see Ivy League players uh, as grad transfers to other programs, including Abby Myers, who's really made a splash at Maryland. Um, I've seen her in person three times. You've seen her in person a lot so far this season. She's really impressed me, but what have you seen from her this season? Yeah, the short answer is she's essentially the same as she was at Princeton, um, which is delightful for those of us who appreciate her game um, and is impressive. You know, she's she's had to change her role a little bit going from uh, Batman at Princeton, their their leading scorer, um, to kind of a more Robin, but also sometimes Batman at Maryland. She's playing alongside Diamond Miller, um, who's missed a couple games with injury or left early. Um and so Abby has been learning how to play with Diamond and with the rest of the roster and also, you know, figuring out when she needs to score, when when she can be more of a passer and contributor in other ways, that sort of thing. And, you know, I, I just wrote a story on this, but looking at her statistics, none of them are far off from what she was doing last season at Princeton, whether you're looking at per game stats or her efficiency stats or even her on off splits. Um, there was a dramatic difference last year in how efficient Princeton was on both ends um, with Abby Myers on the court or off the court. And it's pretty much the same thing, a little bit smaller in effect, but still pronounced um, with her at Maryland. So um, she has her, her game has completely translated um, from Princeton to her hometown, Maryland Terrapins, where she, she grew up uh, as a ball girl for, for Maryland, which is just a really great uh, full circle moment that I'll just slide in there as an aside. Yes, definitely. That needs a mention. Um, overall, what do you see as the broader impact of her succeeding at a Power 5 Top 25 program as a transfer from the Ivy League? Yeah, there have been, you know, some other examples, most notably Katie Benson going from uh, Harvard to Maryland. Um, I you know, we probably need one more and then we can say there's an Ivy League to Maryland pipeline. Um, and then Carly Littlefield went from Princeton to North Carolina following head coach Courtney Banghart. Um, and both of them had a lot of success. So it, it, it's not to say that Abby is the first one to do it. Um, and there have been a few others as well. Um, 
Jaden Bush right now, for example, is a grad transfer at Cal from Harvard. Um, but I think that Abby, Abby's example contributes to an overall proof of concept that players from the Ivy League can succeed anywhere in the country. Um, it builds up the respect that the league has. Um, the Ivy League tends to be one of the top mid-major conferences year in and year out lately. Um, but I'm not sure that all fans uh, recognize that. So uh, seeing someone like Abby, you know, playing on national TV more often than not, having it mentioned that she played at Princeton and having her perform the way she is, um, is only a good thing for the conference, um, aside from the fact that, you know, it, it stinks for the Ivy League that, that she was not eligible as a graduate student to play this season uh, because that's them's the rules of the Ivy League. <laughs> Coming up next, we'll hit on a few more odds and ends to get you prepared for Ivy League play. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. And yes, even uh, your women's basketball betting needs. I'm not a betting person, but I love that BetOnline.net offers these options for women's basketball, and it's just generally a very big deal. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there from football to basketball to soccer and esports betonline.net has it all and if you love sports podcasts you can find those at betonline as well betonline.net is always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix from the WNBA and MLB to NFL NBA and NHL betonline.net has got you covered for odds lines and games head to betonline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today betonline where the game starts. So what can people look forward to at the end of non-conference play? I know there's one game in particular that we have our eyes on uh, coming up next week. Yeah, so most of the Ivy League gets back in action next Wednesday, December 28th. Um, Brown and Dartmouth have some tough tests with Florida Gulf Coast and UMass respectively. Um, but I think the highlight, and, and not just for our respective beats, but the highlight of that uh, non-conference schedule on the 28th is uh, Rhode Island-Princeton, which will be a, a rematch of a hard-fought uh, Rhode Island win from last season. So I'm definitely excited to see that one. Uh, so am I. I just want to plug one quote uh, that you uh, mentioned from your story on Carla, um, but it's, Current Rhode Island head coach Tammy Reese talking about her as uh, Barubea's player. Uh, the kid was just a dog, uh, played hard, just smart. She did everything, everything no one wanted to do. She was tough, very, very tough. Um, I just love that quote, and I love that, you know, these these two now head coaches um, have that familiarity going back to the early '90s. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, I, I talked to Tammy Reese about last season's Princeton squad last season. Um, and she said right before Thanksgiving, she said something to the effect of if Abby Myers isn't the Ivy League player of the year, then I don't, I don't know who is. Um, and she was correct. Abby Myers became the Ivy League player of the year. So so maybe we should ask her, uh, you know, this time around who she thinks the Ivy League player of the year is because because she might have, you know, the inside scoop there. <laughs> Um, and then we've chatted a lot about this uh, last year, this year. Um, what are some other Ivy League A10 matchups that you enjoyed watching? Yeah, so we talked about the Columbia UMass game, which was really just an offensive clinic um, by Columbia. Um, that was a fun one uh, for me to watch. 
Um, Harvard UMass as well. UMass has, after UMass plays Dartmouth next week, they will have played half of the Ivy League. Um, so they are essentially an honorary member of the Ivy League at this point. Um, but the Harvard UMass game in November was also a really fun one to watch back and forth that, that interstate rivalry. Um, so I think those are, those are the top ones that come to mind, but I'm expecting Princeton, Rhode Island to fall in that category as well. Yeah, so am I. I remember we got we were able to corral uh, quite a few folks at the next into watching uh, the Harvard UMass game, even folks that don't normally watch the Ivy League in the A10. So I think that's uh, one great thing about non-conference play is uh, we can show people uh, the the awesome basketball that we cover week in week out uh, that they may not already be watching. Um, for me. Uh, I also obviously enjoyed Harvard and UMass, but for me, the November 15th matchup between St. Joseph's and Penn, uh, that was when I first saw that St. Joseph's was going to be really good this season, carrying over their success from uh, last season, making it to the semifinals of the A-10 tournament. Um, but that was kind of when I, I saw that click. Um, and that is, uh, again, a, a big five uh, rivalry. So lots of rivalries uh, that we're watching. Um, but what matchups are you looking forward to watching in conference play for the Ivy League? There's so many, but in the first couple weeks alone, um, Princeton-Harvard kicks off the, the conference schedule, which is a matchup between the teams that I think are the second and third best in the conference. So uh, not an easy start for either one of them. I think that will be a, a very good early litmus test for, for both teams. Um, you know, how does that Princeton defense contain Harmony Turner? How does Harvard contain all of Princeton's weapons? Um, Harvard is, is definitely offense is, is a little bit stronger for them than defense, and, and Princeton is going to put that to the test. It'll be a, a rematch of last season's Ivy League semifinals, which was uh, Princeton's closest Ivy League game all year. So there are just a bunch of, a bunch of storylines right around the new year on that one. Um, and then a week later on January 6th, uh, Columbia comes to Princeton for a, an expected top two clash, the first of two matchups this season. I will be there. I'm, I'm very excited to see how those those teams stack up um, early in the, in the conference season. Well, you'll be there. Uh, we're expecting some other uh, people from the next to also show up. Uh, I will be over on playback if you'd like to watch that with me, uh, being fed information from those they're live. I'm just excited to see how that plays out um, as well. And with non-conference play almost wrapped up, is a two-bit Ivy looking likely? And what would that mean for the conference overall? Yeah, so uh, with the caveat that I'm not a bracketologist, but if you look at the net ratings right now, Columbia is ranked 33rd, um, which is actually lower than their peak this season. Um, and Princeton is 51st, which is also not their best this season. Um, they've both played tough non-conference schedules and, and both right now have, have shown, based on that net rating, that they are NCAA tournament caliber teams. Um, the kind of uh, caveat to that is that neither of them have any top 50 net wins right now. Their best is Seton Hall, which is ranked 59th in the net. Um, so their games against each other um, could be actually their marquee win of the season, which is uh, pretty unique for the Ivy League um, and pretty exciting. Um, this wouldn't be the first time that we've had a two-bit Ivy, but it's not a regular occurrence. So it would be a big deal 
Um, again, kind of going back to what I was saying about the grad transfers, but just elevating the profile of the league, um, showing the respect, you know, um, there was a lot of discussion about Princeton getting an 11 seed last season in the NCAA tournament. And is, and, you know, the question of how much respect does the selection committee have for the Ivy league? And, um, we'll see how that goes this season, you know, if, if they can get two teams in and what those seeds would look like, um, you know, and of course, both of them need to hold serve in conference play, especially without the, you know, a top 25 or a top 50 win to this point, you really can't afford uh, to slip up against a team whose net doesn't look that great. Um, but if they can hold serve, maybe split their matchups and maybe meet again in the Ivy League tournament final, um, it seems like they would be in good position to potentially get both get bids to the NCAA tournament. And then what are you working on next? So what can the people look forward to reading soon? Yeah, so you know me, I'm working on things across all my beats, but on the Ivy League front, um, I will be at Brown, Florida Gulf Coast next week. Um, so I will likely have something out of that on on Brown and, and Brown's exciting this season. Um, they have already passed their win total from last season um, and they haven't even entered conference play. Um, they look better across the board statistically, have more depth. The only caveat is that their strength of schedule is not great. Um, so I'm curious to kind of dig into, you know, how, how real that turnaround is and, and what factors are contributing to it. So I'll likely have something along those lines there. Um, as I mentioned, I'll be at Columbia Princeton and then I'm headed to Columbia Penn a day later. So I'll have some, some stories out of that and, and hoping to have more on Columbia in particular for you soon. Oh, sounds great. Can't wait to read all of that. Thank you for joining me today, Jen. And where can the people find you and your work? Yeah, so obviously the nexthoops.com has all of my work across my beats. Um, and you can find me on Twitter for now until it breaks. Um, at Jen Hatfield one that's Jen with two N's. If you're watching the video, you can see it um, below, so right there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's pretty much it for now. And if Twitter breaks, we'll have more on that. Thank you for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. Uh, make sure to tune back in Monday for my interview with Anita Ortega, a WBL star who went on to have a successful career in law enforcement and officiating. Really excited about that one. Now make Locked On Sports Today your second listen. Peter Bukowski brings you the biggest stories from around the sports world in 20 minutes. Get the analysis and opinions before anyone else with our local and national experts and insiders. Locked On Sports Today podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts.